All right, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr. You listen to Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. The show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in surfing, skateboarding and snowboarding. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you're a new listener brought in by this week's guest, Torrin Martin, then why not check out the rest of the archive over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. You'll find almost 200 interviews there, including chats with surfers such as Peterson and Norton, Lane Beachley, Mick Fanning, Tom Carroll, Lauren Hill, Gwyn Haslock, who's um, one of the oldest surfers and the most legendary surfers in Britain, one of my favorite ever episodes. There's loads Many more. Check them out. All right, I've got Torrin on the show this week. Easily one of the most stylish, individual, interesting, and certainly celebrated surfers on the planet right now. Torrin is kind of like a Venn diagram for all of the notable talking points in surfing at the moment. Board length, style, his amazing collaborations with friend and filmmaker Ishka Folkwell. He already had a pretty decent profile, but the release of their latest Lost Track Atlantic series has really taken things up to another level. I mean, firstly, because it's just a brilliant, brilliant series documenting their road trip from Scotland to Senegal in that now trademark, languid, curious and culturally sympathetic style. But secondly, because of what it symbolises in the modern surfing era in a time of vlogs and instaclips, Torrin and Ishka have taken it back to a more reflective era when surf films really were the complete package of music, surfing and culture. And it's done so well and so appealingly that it isn't really surprising that the thing has taken off and become massive, massive even, excuse me. Now, I actually messaged Torrin to come on the show about two years ago. And I'll be honest, at the time, it was because I was following him on Instagram and because as a fellow lanky surfer who's over six foot, anyone that makes surfing look that good gets my attention. And perhaps unsurprisingly, I didn't hear back from him. I get the impression he's not somebody that checks his Insta DMs that frequently. But then I interviewed Sean Doherty, who passed me his details, and we made contact. True, it took about six months of emails for, for us to actually nail a date down, but we finally did, and here we are. And in that intervening time, it's fair to say that Torrin's profile has risen as I have just described. And when I was chatting to him, he was in the middle of a period when he was doing a fair amount of press to promote Lost Track. This always presents me with a little bit of a dilemma, particularly in this case after I listened to Torrin's Surf Splendor episode with David Lee Scales, in which David forensically covered most of the obvious stuff. So in the end, I adopted for that time-honoured looking sideways, wandering chinwag approach which seemed to work pretty well, as you'll hear. Big thanks, Torren. You're a great sport. I love talking to you. Um, I'll be back at the end for Housekeeping Corner, but here's me and Torren, Lost Track. Enjoy. Well, you're, you, it looks like you're kind of like properly on media duty at the minute. I saw that you did the the surf splendor thing and then i was actually chatting to a mate of mine uh yesterday a guy called matt arnie who said he'd done something with you over uh voice notes oh uh, yeah for like... so i was like oh yeah torren's obviously doing the rounds getting busy <laughs> oh so i, I like feel like i've just been so hopeless you know and um yeah it's just been tricky with you know we've been quite remote for the best part of the last few months and um you kind of 
yeah, trying to time all your sort of food and fuel runs and then obviously the time zone differences and the signal kind of comes and goes with the wind at the best of times. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, I'm get, getting on top of it now. <laughs> yeah. So where are you now? You're west, right? Yeah, down in um, down in the southwest. Over the last few days, we've done about, yeah, 1,000 k's or so. Just kind of, we were up in the northwest, up around Nalu and uh, the Ningaloo National Park in that area, and now down in Margaret River. And was this like a planned trip? Because I know you've been, because obviously we've been back and forth for a few months now, and I know you've been on the road pretty much most of that time. Like, did, was this like a plan where you're like, because obviously I know in Australia at the minute you got, you're kind of going through what we went through in the UK in our winter, because we had the same thing. We had summer last year. Great. You know, it's all fine. We can all travel around. It's brilliant. And as soon as winter kicked in, it was like, uh, actually, no restrictions. And that seems to be how it's been for you guys as well. Because I know in our winter, we were all super jealous of the Aussies. We were all like, ah, you know, they've got it dialed and and it kind of flipped quite quickly. But I guess my question is, did you plan the trip as a way of just coping with the scenario or did it coincide? Uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of both for sure. It's kind of been a, a tricky one. It's, you know, at one stage you know the country kind of opened up opens up and you can travel interstate and everything's kind of all dandy and then um and then all of a sudden the states are against each other and and things are difficult like it's it it doesn't necessarily feel like the virus has been moving with the seasons but it's just i mean australia has been really locked down since day one in in terms of um numbers of of cases sort of thing so it's um, there really hasn't been a lot of it, and now it's kind of just starting to escalate. And it feels like the virus has really only just got here in a way, or or just got out of control, more so in in some areas like New South Wales. But we left on the trip at um, the start of March, which is sort of six, seven months ago. Yeah, and and um, spent a good chunk of the time in Tasmania. Originally, just kind nice. of planned to go there for a couple of weeks, and ended up staying for yeah, three or four months. Uh, and then, yeah, through there, we went through South Australia. And when we got there, they actually went into a lockdown um, and we were fortunate enough to be near a, a like a, there's like a little sort of uh, private reserve that has a campground on it, which is on the beach. So there was seven days where you weren't allowed to go anywhere or do anything. So we were, we were there and there were a couple of days of waves. So um, as soon as that lifted, uh, our plan was to get up into West Oz from there, but um, by that route, that that would take us across the Nullarbor, um, which is the most direct route. It's still about three or four thousand kilometres, but uh, because of the yeah the current situation with Western Australia, they wouldn't let anyone in from South Australia. Um, so we thought it was a good opportunity to go up through the middle, through the Northern Territory, which nice. which took us up. Yeah, it was incredible because it took us up through you know Uluru, Ayers Rock. Um, into the Kakadu National Park, um, all the way up into like sort of we went up to West Arnhem Land and saw a part of the country that we'd, you know, only dreamt of and never seen before. So it gave us an opportunity to to really, you know, get away from the ocean and, and see that part of the country, which was quite special. And, and because of the uh, travel guidelines, we, we had to spend at least two weeks um, before Western Australia would let us in and 
we just kind of crossed our fingers that Northern Territory wouldn't get any cases and we kind of just crossed the border and not 24 hours later, um, I got a text message saying, if you've been in this place in the Northern Territory, immediately go and quarantine. Like, right. And we hadn't, thankfully. And yeah, we were just like, yes, like finally we made it. And we basically drove uh, from there straight to the coast of, of Nalu there and um, yeah, just surfed our brains out. <laughs> I guess that's one of the weird, I'm not going to say luxury because it's a, it's a bit of a strange word to use in the context of this, but, you know, I guess the fact you could do something like that, like go up the centre, actually see that part of the country, take that time. It's a bit of a, because probably normally, I guess you might not have done that, you know, because you, you would have been like, well, we'll stick to the coast and, you know, see where the waves are. But to actually like have the time to sort of do have a different experience and have a different trip. I guess might not have happened in in other circumstances. So, you know, it must be quite a nice thing to have ticked off really. Yeah, absolutely. And we found ourselves when we were up there too, was um, wanting to sp- stay longer. We're like, if this state had waves, like it is the indigenous culture there is so rich and you feel it's quite moving, you know, you really see the heart of Australia um and it's wild you can you know the way that it makes you feel and you just get so absorbed in it and there's just an abundance of wildlife and just natural beauty that kind of just takes you away so it's um you know if it wasn't if the waters weren't full of big saltwater crocodiles and um stinging <laughs> jellyfish and things, you'd, yeah yeah it'd be you know in in you know even more incredible sort of thing but um yeah we found ourselves just totally you know blown away and you could spend it it's it's crazy how big australia is um you know that just that trip up the middle like from where we were on the coast up the middle back to west oz we did about seven and a half thousand kilometers um and and so far we've done about 40 or fifty thousand k's since we've been on the road so it's yeah yeah I got, I got to say for, for a Brit, that's so funny because, you know, well, you've been to the UK, obviously, and, you know, it's like, it's like, if you do a six-hour drive over here, it's like, whoa, you know, it's like, <laughs> everyone's like, Jesus, you know, like preparing. But even then when you said, yeah, go across another board, it's like 4,000K, you know, for me, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's you know, if you traveled 4,000K from London, I mean, I'm in Brighton, but I mean, I think, I think you're probably near Senegal, right? yeah it's, pretty much it's, yeah it's or like or like moscow do you know what i mean it's like it's that far isn't it like it's, but, it's, but you're not in Oz, you're like oh yeah you know just do that yeah yeah like a thousand kilometer drive here people do yeah we like do it overnight you know it's yeah yeah four thousand k's is still a long long way like um but yeah it's i don't know it's a, a lot of driving yeah so uh, just a question I, because I've I've actually spent a lot of time in Australia, but I I only ever go to Sydney because I've got family there. Have you lost me? I'm just saying that my um microphone, like my on the bottom, the um I'm not seeing like the kind of volume. I can see, I can see it my side. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. Good to check. No, it's it is coming through. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Okay. I, I quickly, did you see what I said in the email? So basically what it does is it, it'll download it to your computer 
and then it'll upload it to Dropbox. So the way it's supposed to work is like you you have a local file that if it fucks up, then you can just send me that file. But it's it okay. seems to be working in fine. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. now, yeah. All good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so I've been to my sister, like basically emigrated there, lived in Sydney um, for, for 20 years, just moved to Ballingen, actually. I don't know if you know that. Um, oh, yeah. Which I think northern New South Wales, right? Um, yeah. There you go. But I've been probably six times and I've never been into the interior. Like I, I like I, I always, always end up on the coastline. And obviously one thing you notice is like the whole population's on the coastline. Is it, is it the same for Australians? Probably sounds like a stupid question, but is it actually quite difficult to, to, to make the effort to kind of explore that interior and that different, like you said, indigenous culture, like to actually, because it seems like a separation as an outsider. It seems like you've got the coastal culture and then the interior culture, which which necessarily is a bit different. Do you, do you have to kind of make yourself explore that? Is it the same for Aussies um, that the, the coast absolutely. is like this sort of? Yeah, I've got a, a lot of friends um, that you know haven't haven't really left left the coast and gone inland. And same for myself. I mean, at times you do, and to get from one coast to the other, you have to you know, obviously cover a bit of ground, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, as a surfer, it's hard to leave the coast, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, like, um, you know, like you've sort of witnessed as well, there's a lot of, lot of country here and, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to see and do and to, to cover it all is, yeah, impossible, really. So what were some of the highlights you mentioned the indigenous culture that you that you kind of experienced which which is something you obviously quite careful to bring in to the work that you do with Ishka like wherever you are really you know like to sort of convey an idea an idea of what the local culture is like um what what were the what were the experiences that were particularly stand out from from that part of your recent trip uh that sort of leg through the the heart of the country and uh you know one well actually Uluru itself um we Ayana and I got up before the sunrise and uh obviously there's you know quite of like it's it's a really sacred spot to the Aboriginal people and um you know we kind of felt like I'd been past there before at a different time of day and um because it is such a special spot it can get quite crowded and and we got up sort of before the sunrise and and did a it's about a nine kilometer walk around the radius, um, and we did that sort of in the first sort of half an hour before sunrise into you know the hour of sunrise and it was just it felt truly magical and you know there's little oases of water around it where all the birds and animals kind of migrate and just the sounds and the crisp cool air and it just really felt like a truly special spot and that was um yeah quite an incredible experience and then obviously going up through i'd never been to kakadu national park and that area and yeah the the abundance of wildlife and and the sacred again the sacred indigenous areas and the you know the tens of thousands of year old rock like carved uh rock paintings and um yeah just you know reading and understanding a bit deeper about the history of areas and and things like that yeah that was quite amazing 
yeah, I need to do it. I need to do it. I'm not seeing my family for like a couple of years, obviously now. First thing I'm going to do when the restrictions open up between the UK and Australia is definitely book a flight. And I think, I think this time I've got, I've got to sort of broaden my horizons a little bit, you know, see, see, see a bit more of it rather than the same little corner of New South Wales, really. Um, But on, but on, on the trip that you've been doing, then is it just, have you, have you been doing any filming? Have you been doing any, I'm going to say like working <laughs> or is it all just, or has it all just been cruising? Uh, when we were down in Tasmania, we did a little bit of filming down there. Um, Ishka and his partner, Serica and the, the, the new little boy, Wyla came down. We, we actually, Iana and I rented a little house down there, right on uh, the Tasman Peninsula for a couple of months. Um, and yeah, we, we surfed, uh, like ship cerns and stuff down there a few times um, and, and got a couple of sessions out there. And, yeah, it, there hasn't been – haven't been filming a lot other side of that apart from, yeah, just recently in the last month with, with Laurie a little bit in, in the northwest. Uh, but it's been uh, – Yeah, you, you mentioned that on the Surf Splendor one, I think. Yeah, right. You, uh, yeah, okay. How's that been? Um, yeah, it's been great hanging with him and surfing with – with him absolutely we've been also diving and, and fishing a lot too and he's you know deeply into that um so i've been learning a lot from him and yeah it's just been a really nice time um just sort of you know connecting with the underwater world too but he was he's been up there for the last couple of months and got some absolutely incredible waves and we've kind of just got the tail end of it the season's kind of changing at the moment so we're we're starting to move south and then we'll start heading across back east. But yeah, starting to chase the waves and do a little bit more filming now for sure. Yeah. Um and one thing I kind of picked up on with the uh with that chat you had with David was that you, you said like travel, international travel seems a long, long way away for you right now. I mean he have you because I'm trying to get to the Maldives on Thursday, basically had this trip booked for two years which suddenly is like oh you can go like the Chinese restrictions in the uk and it is such a hassle to to go anywhere like you know we can't get insured just like you know practical shit like it's it's so difficult to like the amount of tests and like blah 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 and it seems like it's even trickier for aussies given the the rules like are you you even are you thinking you might just stick on this program for for the foreseeable like keep it keep it at home just keep exploring or have you got anything you starting to think about further afield yeah it's a tr- it's a tricky one i i, I want to hear more about what you're kind of going through um with it all but uh it's not easy to leave here my my partner ayana she's from california um, and she hasn't seen her family for a couple of years so we're kind of contemplating trying to get over there for christmas uh, we're also waiting for our, our partner visa to be approved here in Australia, which will give her kind of residency. Um, so we're kind of hoping that that gets approved, then we can apply for an exemption. Otherwise, you have to apply for another permit. Um, and it, yeah, it is, it's all a bit difficult. You can leave Australia, but um, it, it basically, like, you have to leave with, uh, like, for an intended length of stay which is you know three or six months or more basically and you have to have a a really good reason Um, yeah i feel like 
we could be, you know, I, I feel like we'd be able to leave if we really wanted to. But in terms of going on a surf trip or a holiday um, for a few weeks, it's pretty pretty hard. Like it's it's more to come back and you have to quarantine in a hotel and it costs about four thousand um, dollars. Yeah, just that, and then yeah, it, it's just not easy. Like I think there's just a really limited amount of flights coming back in as well. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you could probably leave, but then I think a lot of people are finding it quite difficult to get back. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of they, been... They a- just... That with, in my, yeah, in, in my case, that's how come we can go because they just took it off the quarantine list. So you can go over here. They're doing this thing called test release. So basically, if you do a trip, you're supposed to uh, self-isolate for 10 days. You don't have to do the hotel quarantine thing anymore but you're supposed to stay at home but if you test negative on day two then you you kind of fine um because i just went to france for three weeks in the van like um around Brittany. have you been to Brittany, northwest of france i haven't but really wanted to go on this last trip i heard nothing but good thing hold that thought because i want to ask you about that but like so i i I just did the i just did that I've been a few times. It's it's so sick. It's it's rad. It's yeah. like I should probably not say too much because um you know, but it's it's worth the trip. But anyway, so we did that, and um, it's just a lot of admin. Do you know what I mean? Like like that. That's the thing. It it, it reminds me of what it must have been like thirty four years ago. I guess if you wanted to travel anywhere, like it, because we're so used to the our generation and your generation. So used to the free and easy travel, aren't we? You know, you just book a flight go anywhere in the world you know it's easy maybe you gotta get like a a vaccination somewhere or a visa but generally it's like it's been so simple for like 34 years hasn't it but you know i do wonder if it'll go back to that i must be honest like i'm sort of wondering if 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 that era of like especially when you factor in the environmental factor of like cheap travel which you know there's obviously this whole shift towards Mm -hmm. an awareness that i'm beginning to think like that seems like a golden period that might be over, you know, and with the Maldives definitely experiencing that. So just, you know, you said, what's the scenario? Like the main thing is we just can't seem to get insured. Um, so because, because the foreign office here basically don't advise you to go unless it's essential. And obviously don't count surf trip as essential. Um, if anybody will find one insurer, he'll do it. Um, so that's obviously quite a hassle and then you've got to do got to do tests when you get there you've got to have a negative test to fly when you're there you've got to have a negative test to leave you've got to have a negative test to get back into the country you know these are all and these are all like sort of 100 150 dollars a time wow. so it's 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 also that's the other thing it's also like really pushing it away from affordability for for, for everybody so it's mm-hmm. yeah if it, if it wasn't like trip of a lifetime, I wouldn't I wouldn't be going to be honest. Yeah. But like I said, it's just one of these what... friends. Or... Yeah, it's a mate's birthday, and we just we just get doing the doing a boat trip basically, um, which I've never yeah. done. So yeah, That'd I mean, I'll be <laughs> be rad. Yeah, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'll be I'm stoked, man. Yeah, if we can do it, it'll be going on Thursday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's tricky for sure at the minute. Um, but yeah, on that on that one then. So you mentioned that. I guess that's the question I've got about Lost Track because I watched it all. I haven't seen the fourth one yet actually. Um, and that was like the sort of 
the unanswered question I had when you did that mission, you know, and you made the call. Because where did you actually, where were you when you made the call to make that drive to Morocco? Were you still in Scotland? Yeah, we were still in Scotland. Um, we were still in Scotland. And yeah, we basically saw something kind of brewing down south. And then we, yeah, we kind of were just like, well, let's like, yeah, basically let's try and cover some ground to get closer and see how we're looking. We knew it was going to be a long way. And we weren't sure how we were going to go with ferries and everything. Um, but one thing we, yeah, we really, basically we kind of assumed, or I assumed as well that um, I was going to be returning the van to the UK. Uh, that was right. a part of a part of the kind of registration and, you know, we had to bring the van back. Um, and whether it was Ishka and I or Ayana and I, um, we thought we had a, a lot more time up our sleeves at the end of it. Um, right, and that obviously wasn't the case because of the whole COVID situation. But the lure as well was that uh, I don't know Morocco felt so far away, and a place that you know I just dreamt of the the right hand point breaks down there, and a total I don't know why I kind of it's hard to see and do it all. Um, I don't regret our decision to go down there, but I do. I would love to see, you know, those other parts of Europe and, and did think that we were going to have the opportunity that trip uh, just on the other side of it. So, yeah, yeah. So were you going to do, cl- do the classic then? So you were, gonna, were you going to explore like any of England or were you just going to go straight down to France after you'd been to Scotland? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, France. We That part of Brittany up there in, in the kind of, um, what is it? Yeah, the northwest corner, is it? The Yeah. Uh, Oh, you got that, to go back. You love it. It's so fun. Yeah, it, it looks... I just had a few kind of friends and, and, and total strangers that sort of reached out and I was just like, wow, that yeah, that looks like a, a special part of the country for sure. And, um, and yeah, it was, on the, it was on the front of my mind to get back there on the way back up. And, yeah, there were certain parts. I'd been to, to Portugal before, Eresia and that area, you know, 10 plus years ago um but at that the time of that trip i'd hurt my knee and i I didn't get to surf or anything so i was kind of hanging with mates that were surfing uh and yeah just couldn't so i kind of i was really looking forward to to those areas but yeah well unfinished business mate you have to come back yeah do that part exactly and that's kind of the beauty of you know it's nice to leave something unfinished for sure. Like you can't see and do it all by any means, but uh, yeah, that's how I feel too. It'll happen at some, some yeah. point. I'm looking forward I to mean, it. I've still never, I've still never been up to Scotland really. I mean, I've, yeah, I've, right. I've, sur- I've surfed the North coast once, but like it's criminal really, you know, I've yeah. not, I've not done that trip every, every summer when the autumn comes around, I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right. time. I'm going to go and do it, um, but still not done it. Um, is that the right Yeah, well, exactly. It's that drive thing, isn't it? You know, it's like it's only an eight-hour drive, so I should I should go and do it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but but one question I've got about it is is actually about your relationship with Need Essentials because obviously you've done quite a few of these now. And mm-hmm. is it is it Ryan? Is that the guy that runs Need Essentials? Is that his name? 
Yeah, Ryan Scanlon, he, he's the guy that, that started it. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously you got from the outside of the set, you got such a great setup there. Um, and I know you get asked a lot of these questions, which are about like, oh, you know, you, you, you've changed the game. It's not about Instagram clips. It's about 45 minute videos, blah, 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 and all that stuff. Like, But but it is it is quite unusual, the setup that you've got in currently right now, where you can have the time to go and do these like really involved exploratory trips and sort of put out these things. And I'm assuming that Need Essentials and Ryan have got a lot to do with that approach because because if you flip it and look at it from the sponsor point of view, from the brand point of view, rather than just the surfer point of view, in itself, that's quite unusual really, isn't it, these days? You know, you're not seeing a lot of companies invest that time and, and, and you know, approach really so how how did that come about because you've done a few now haven't you like the lost tracks and also your relationship with them goes back quite a few years so where did that start yeah absolutely um well yeah of course need essentials and and you know it all the whole kind of relationship started with you know ryan and i becoming friends and i you know really respected what he was doing and and vice versa and it kind of um as the company and our relationship grow grew um he you know he's you know created something that that i'm really proud to be a part of um and and he's you know really creative as well and supports the filmmaking and stuff that ishka and i do and we've always um had a lot of freedom in in terms of the trips that we've uh you know and trips we've wanted to do and the films we wanted to create um and need Ryan's been really supportive of that. Um, and because as well, like Ishka and I travel, you know, quite modestly on a, on a pretty small budget. So we can kind of stretch a little bit of money a long way. Um, you know, if, if if the idea is to be on the road for a month or a couple of months, um, you know, you can, yeah, we, we kind of try and do it as, you know, modestly as possible. Uh, so yeah, the, I guess the idea, you know, we, Ishka and I sort of come up with an idea and, uh, and sort of pitch it to Ryan. Um, and he's only ever been a yes man and, and, you know, he needs been in a fortunate position to be able to support the both of us to do it. Um, and yeah, it's given us an opportunity and, you know, to work, to make a film that we're really passionate about and excited about and, yeah the you know having time on your side for a trip like that where you know things just kind of happen naturally thing it's not forced or um orchestrated uh and and because yeah it is just the two of us um we're not blowing up you know lots of money or anything like that so uh yeah i guess you know yeah is that kind of what you you were asking or yeah yeah exactly just i guess on that it's as well like what for you and ishka what what comes first is it the is it the idea for the trip or or the creative side of things because because obviously what you guys do is really considered as well you know like it's really the music the the immersion into the culture the voiceover i mean even the voiceover is like really obviously takes a a long time and you know and there's a lot of love and heart poured into it you know like it's not it's not a kind of throwaway thing so i'm assuming that you and ishka there's a lot of 
talking, planning, thinking about probably on the trip as well. Like, you know, what, what sort of thing you try to make. So when it began, was it just a way of going to amazing places or did you also have a bit of a vision for the whole thing that you, that you and Ishka would try to follow? Yeah, generally, I mean, the Lost Track kind of it becoming a series started just an idea of, you know, Ishka and I were sitting around a, a campfire in, in West Oz and, um, and thinking, yeah, wouldn't it be amazing to travel and experience these different places by different modes of transport? Um, and then, yeah, the idea of the New Zealand trip started kind of off the back of that, which was the one we did on motorbikes, and then this one in the van in Europe. And, and I guess what we've, um, you know, it'll start with, well, basically, we just document the whole trip in, you know, in our experience and the waves we get. And, um, and then when we come home with, you know, all the footage and hard drives of it, uh, we, we basically start telling, you know, a bit more of the story. And, you know, sometimes you don't need to say much and the imagery will do that. But if there's a bit of a message you like to get across or, yeah, a way to kind of sculpt the story, you know, that has been something that Ryan's been really helpful for as well with, with the storytelling and, um, and kind of connecting it all as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it does come back to – it starts off with, Ishka and I just getting excited about going somewhere new and then yeah. when, we, when we come back and we're kind of reflecting on the footage and, and you know, put it into a bit of a rough draft of, you know, a timeline of our experience and then we start talking about, you know, the interactions that we had with people, the way that we were moved by something, you know, something that, you know, that we've, we've taken from the journey and something we'd like to give back um, and then we start, you know, talking with Ryan and then with Headland that make the music uh, and then, you know, maybe some of the musicians and artists that we were listening to on the road and we were like, you know, there might be a playlist that gets play- played on repeat and then Ryan, will, yeah. you know, say, well, would you like to use one of those tracks? Let us reach out to them. And we were like, we'd be like blown away. Like, yeah, that'd be unreal, you know? So, um, and then he- Headland obviously has glued it together with, you know, their score as well. So it's, that gives the continuity throughout with music and then, yeah, little sections will be enhanced by, you know, someone like Imahan or uh, Mariam Hassan or, you know, something quite powerful and and really, you know, localised to that area. Uh, but, yeah, it's all, it starts with just a little idea. Nothing's ever, ever planned or scripted. There's no uh, yeah. shot list or anything like that, really. When we When we leave, it's just like, pack the boards pack the camera gear and let's go see what happens and yeah yeah well that but that really comes across as well but it sounds like creatively it's really collaborative which must be which must be great because to do the trip and have the experience with you know he's your best mate isn't he is is obviously one thing but then to come back and like be able to work with other friends and, and, and create something that you can be creatively satisfied with as well is sort of the that's that's the goal in it that's what everyone's after that's what you, that's what we're all trying to do so it's got yeah. you got to be you got to be stoked man you know like with with forget the reception you know forget how well it's gone down just the actual for you guys to to pull yeah. it together in the way that you have yeah that must be great and the music as you say is is massive isn't it it's a huge part of it who who are headland then are they friends of yours yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, I met Murray through Simon Jones, uh, who makes Morning of the Earth surfboards, and 
yeah, Murray and Simon have been great friends for a long time. Murray's in Simon's age group um, as well. So, yeah, he's an older bloke. He's been, you know, he's incredibly talented at music. He's a, you know, he's a really smart guy. He's a, a, a school teacher as, as well and um, just a really creative, charismatic um you know, puts a smile on everyone's faces and he shreds as well. So he's connected to it all. Um, so yeah, he's, that's Headland and, and they have, um, it, that he's not just Headland, but yeah, he's, they've got a, a really tight circle of really talented musicians and, and Les whose studio, a lot of the music gets recorded in is, um, you know, they yeah, we'll spend afternoons up there and, you know, we we'll sit in front of, um, in the studio watching just a bit of sort of raw surfing footage and Muzz, you know, can just make the, the music speak to the surfing and, you know, vice versa. It's like, yeah, it's it's pretty cool just to be a bit of a fly on the wall and, and see him. Put yeah, that's, that's, like, that's like alchemy, isn't it? I've got friends that do soundtracks and it, yeah. it, it, it absolutely blows me away that, you know, to see people do that, to see people like, watch something and then be able to express themselves musically in a way that matches what they're seeing is i mean it's magic yeah. isn't it really you know it's, it's incredible uh, yeah yeah so how did you and ishka meet did you grow up together yeah ishka and i went to school together um he was always a couple of years above me at school uh and then i mean byron bay is quite a small town and we had mutual friends and um and such like in you know in the surfing community but uh and then when i was sort of 17 18 and getting into surfing more so and he was into his photography and filmmaking we kind of just sort of connected through that basically and i uh, got along really well and uh one sort of idea kind of led to the next and um, he was actually on a solo trip traveling through california uh, yeah california at the time and i was with another best good mate of mine then we were on a little trip down to mexico and um we like ish was just we were, was there and we were like jumping in the van with us and um and he kind of yeah shot a little bit of that and we just sort of started hanging heaps from then and then yeah we'd have a little idea of a, a trip to window or or something similar and and ish was always yeah really rotten and yeah it just kind of all all rolled out yeah it's a nice setup isn't it to be able to yeah. do it with one of your one of your closest mates especially yeah, you know you guys evidently get on extremely well as well which also comes across in the in the films you know earlier you mentioned when you were when you're in the edit you said um i think you said something like you know we'll have a, we'll have a think about what message we want to put across so what and, I, and I, I'm not getting at the idea that there's this like overarching message, but I'm guessing that's more to do with like local communities maybe or experiences that you have. Cause you, cause you do, you are so careful to like show the culture of the places that you go to. And I've mentioned that a couple of times and just cause it is quite rare these days, you know, like most of the edits that you see, they involve travel obviously and they involve go to different cultures but they're really not that interested in showing that side of the surf travel experience which obviously is is actually probably the biggest part of it is alongside the surfing um 
you know, you'll see an edit and it's like, well, here we are at the airport, here we are setting up, here we are surfing, bang, done, you know. But it's conscious, right, for you guys. You are trying to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's also um, as much as trying to show a culture, it's about showing an experience, you know, and the interaction that you have with people regardless of the culture. Um, and that happens, you know, a lot more when you're traveling alone as well. Like if you were solo traveling, everyone will welcome you in and help you if you're with a mate or if you're with a group, it happens less, you know, in a way too. So, um, but yeah, Ish and I have been really fortunate to have only, you know, so much positive experience and we're documenting our journey and, and, you know, and I guess the message that we would like to share is and show of, you know, how much kindness there is out there and how much, how welcoming and, you know, and helpful, like a lot of people are and, um, that, you know, by making yourself, you know, travel can be, you know, daunting at times and it, it doesn't always go smoothly. You know, things don't always go to plan. They kind of rarely do, you know, it's, and that's, and, and if you open yourself up to that and, um, you know, let the, let the good times and the bad, you know, call them good and bad, but the, you know, when things are going smoothly and not so smoothly, um, you know, they are what makes a whole experience a lot richer and, and memorable too. So it's, um, yeah, you just kind of let it all, all roll out really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really nice part. I can't remember what episode it's in, but in the voiceover, you're kind of saying, you know, basically what you seem to be saying is like at the end of the day, like wherever you go in the world, we are all, everyone's just wants to get along. <laughs> everyone just wants to help. Everyone just wants to meet new people. And, you know, that's almost the job of travel, isn't it? To like remind you of that, especially when you've got a situation like we've got now, where everyone's in their own countries, there's a lot of tension and, you know, you kind of forget that there's that. And then there's the reality of day-to-day human life where people just, going around the world and meet somebody and they're going to be going to be like all right mate yeah, yeah. <laughs> how you doing you know yeah. need a hand that's just the way it is isn't it basically yeah, yeah so it is. any anything stand out from that whole experience you know there's a lot captured in the in the series that people and if you haven't seen it and you listen to this i highly recommend you watch this series um but i know you didn't show everything in the in the series as well so any any relationships people you met incidents that that stand out as as particularly memorable um oh i mean yeah the whole journey um was i mean there's so much contrast between the the far north of of scotland and um you know the south of, of senegal where we ended up too you know so much cultural diversity um you know the interactions the the whole experience but i guess and i think i've I've said it before, but uh, my, you know, I planned to go down to Morocco about 10 years ago and I'd hurt my knee that last time I was in Europe. So I didn't quite make it down there and it was really on the forefront of my mind. And, um, and I had in a way like a, you know, just a, a high expectation because I was just so excited, you know, not um, no more than, than that really. I was just really excited to get down there and only dreamt of the right hand point breaks and, the Tajines and, you know, just a new, really foreign place. And um, we went in, 
yeah, I had absolutely no idea really what to expect. Um, and we were just, yeah, greeted with, you know, just so much, such a rich experience from every side, you know, like it was to put it down to one experience or, or anything is impossible for me because we were constantly just, um, and, and there were so many sort of interactions that we had that weren't on film too, but just the, the amount of generosity uh, and kindness of people that, you know, complete strangers that we met on the road. Um, you know, near the ocean and, and far away from it too. People would, you know, genuinely just wanted to help us and welcome us into their homes and, you know, feed us and, you know, you know, just, yeah, it was, that was truly like, uh, yeah, one of the most memorable times of my life for sure. You scored it as well. <laughs> Which, yeah, I yeah. Can't was was evident <laughs> that run of waves like we yeah we kind of went in on a bit of a a little bit blind really like i didn't specifically go chasing any particular waves we were just kind of following our nose um and yeah we we were just blown about, away by the quality and consistency of the waves and i think it was an exceptionally good season because there was no shortage of swells uh yeah but yeah, we you know think a lot of those sand uh, those points can be quite sand dependent as well, and you know with the amount of swell that it gets, things can shift quite quickly. But um, yeah, it just felt like one of those trips where things were kind of falling in the right place at the right time. Uh, one question I had was, how much do you guys chat about the shots themselves? Because particularly in that Morocco section, there's one shot which I absolutely love where it's like almost like tracking you on this right, but he's almost like doing it through a market or something. Like, uh, like you know, there's people walking through the shot. Like, I'm sure you know the one I mean. And and all the way through the, the work you guys do, there is some really, really unusual angles on surfing, you know. So how much are you kind of talking about that before you get in? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're, um, it's, it, it also, yeah, it depends on, um, we were in the fortunate position where we, were, we had such a nice run of waves. We were able to get a lot more creative with the shots and we kind of genuinely, generally go into a, a session or especially go into a place for the first time. We'll kind of set up a bit of a, you know, a, a staple, um, something that's going to be, you know, quite like quite a reliable shot sort of thing not you know yeah get, not, get that ticked yeah and just be like oh that was epic we just got a session kind of under the belt you know and then ish might have the idea of shuffling further up the dunes and getting something a little more in the foreground and um and then yeah we could find it he could find himself a kilometer down shooting way back into it yeah it's one of those things about um yeah once you do have a little bit more in the bag then you get a little bit more creative with it, but his issues rarely ever misses a wave. He's got such a, a good eye and, and patience and he's, you know, he's yeah, quite concentrated. Um, but yeah. And that, yeah, just like that, it, it's yeah. A new wave, you kind of start safe and then get a little bit more creative with it. Um, yeah. As you get more waves. And that's what we were so lucky enough to have is yeah. A few cracks at it. So, 
Yeah, he has got a brilliant eye, hasn't he? I really like the way he depicts surfing. You know, yeah. it's 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 definitely it definitely stands out like at the minute. Um, so you mentioned the original idea for Lost Track was different vehicles, basically. You know, the bikes, New Zealand, the van, Donna in in Atlantic. A friend of mine was like asking why they chose such a shit van. <laughs> but I guess, I guess well, that was budget, right? Uh, I actually, I had a bit of a soft spot for Ford Transits. I really wanted to get one in Australia, but they got a really bad rep here. Like any mechanic won't even, doesn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And yeah. they're like, oh, if you can get a, there was a certain model or something, they're everywhere in Europe and, um, you know, over there that you know they're a really common car um yeah and they, they also, are everywhere as I'm, as I'm sure you saw <laughs> and we thought you know like yeah exactly and getting you know parts were going to be readily available and also we kind of wanted something that was going to be you know quite discreet like it was we didn't want to look like campers and travelers we wanted to be able to just shut the doors and sleep in a city in the main street or you know we didn't want to be getting around um, in anything too fancy and, and flashy and didn't want to, you know, make ourselves stick out. So it was, you know, we were pretty, pretty stoked with the van. We thought we killed it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, did, I, I just thought it was great the way you were like, yeah, buy it, do it, simple, get on the road. Like, cause like you said, the fru- the fru- frugalness of it, like the way you try to do it obviously as well is keep it simple, keep the cost down and be be discreet you know it made it totally made sense for sure um but on the vehicle thing you know with with david lee scales you talked quite a lot about sailing which i thought was really interesting i didn't actually know that you were exploring that and you also said something quite interesting because you said that um basically you're you're all in on sailing at the minute you know you're fascinated it's all you're thinking about is is what you said and it I kind of thought it was interesting because it, I guess I'm wondering, is that, is that how you approach these things? Like you, when you've got an interest like that, you just immerse yourself in it, try and learn as much as possible. You're, Cause you also said something like, I'm almost scared by how much there is to learn. You know, I just thought it was interesting. Like, is that, is, is that a bit of how you approach things? Yeah. I think I can get a bit carried away or absorbed in things. And I, I certainly um, have a one track mind at times so um at the moment yeah sailing's taking up a huge part of my mind and and just the idea of it and the challenge of it um i don't have a lot of experience i've been on a few boat trips and a couple of boats here and there and i've got a little sailing dinghy at home but uh yeah it's just seems like a yeah i mean it would the ocean's a big thing and there's so much to explore and I don't for a second think that there's um you can go out there and just and conquer it I I feel like it's a huge challenge uh but I'm kind of feeling like that I feel like I want to challenge I want to push myself I want to learn a new skill and um you know with a a lifetime you know growing up and and being you know in the ocean and understanding winds and tides and swells um I feel like that side of it, I, I hope, you know, that I'd have a, you know, a decent understanding of. And then the sailing side of things, I don't know a lot about, but I'm 
yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. It excites me. It, it feels like, you know, yeah. You know, sounds like a progression. <laughs> sounds like a lot. Like, sounds like a logical next step, almost. You know, to like kind of complete the. Well, as you say, you've immersed. You spent your whole life immersed in surfing, so to to co- find something that can complement that and the travel, definitely, yeah. definitely makes sense for sure. Yeah, I think it'd be a, a you know a really like sort of touching back on what you were saying before about what's the next, what's travel look like in the future. I feel like especially um you know disposable travel especially but uh yeah traveling by boat would be a much uh, more sort of meaningful less impactful way of travel yeah um, and, for sure that sort of slow travel as well but yeah it kind of you know it's yeah yeah there's a lot there there to learn but it, it certainly is kind of where my head's at thinking about whether i yeah can kind of pull it off but yeah it's feeling like it's one of those things that maybe you just need to jump in the deep end with and, and kind of work your way out of it yeah i mean i was thinking that even when i was in Brittany, because we stayed in this beautiful little town that was classic french town like little little harbor estuary and then waves all up and down the coast nearby and i was like you know, fuck, you could just, you could fully just sail it. You know, I mean, it's going to sound like such a fucking idiot saying this because it's obvious, but like, you know, oh, wow, you could sail from England and, you know, do this. And like, even just something like that, you know, like just to just to call in at little towns, spend a few days, surf, it's, it's so appealing. I was like, fuck, yeah, that'd be the way to do it next time if you could, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think that's where I kind of get, like, I think there's such a romantic idea about it too. And then- oh, definitely. The other Definitely. side, like it's going to be, you know, <laughs> a challenge too. But I, I think with a with balance, you know, you yeah, you can kind of, um, yeah, it's far going to be far from a luxurious sort of brochure dream. But um, yeah, for sure, that's kind of what in, what keeps you keeps you going too. Hey, so this, I've, I've just got to um, I've just noticed my batteries getting chewed. I'm I gonna. Go for- Go for it, man. Um, one sec. My, I'm just going to um, run my inverter. I've My battery's been a bit funky, so I've just got to... Yeah, man, all good. I'm just going to check the volt reader one sec, and I might grab yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah, go for it, man. How long have you had that van? Um, had this one for a couple of years now. Um, yeah, had the, had the van for a couple of years, two two and a half years, three years. Yeah, that, look, that looks like a great setup. It's good. It's a it's a Toyota Hiace uh, commuter, which is like our sort of maxi taxi here. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's like once I had that van in Morocco, which you could fully stand up in. I came back kind of just like I'm like bummed you know i'm just like oh i can't stand up that was so good i need a van that i can stand up in but you can't you can't really beat the toyota uh reliability and that's kind of what got me um why i bought it in the first place and it it hasn't let me down yet so touch wood it uh yeah how how tall good. are you six two i thought so because you i'm six four and you know 
always good to see a fellow tall man making it look good. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty rare, gotta say. Yeah, um, lots, of, lots of long limbs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so on back to you know that thing I was hinting at with the sailing, like the kind of single mindedness, the the way that you immerse yourself in things. Was that how it was when you got into surfing? Yeah, I think surfing's always kind of been a, a um a grounding and and something that you know my friends and everything have been doing but uh surfing's kind of not come and gone throughout my life but it's yeah at, like i have there's been periods of my life um sort of my teen and adult life where i haven't surfed a whole lot as well uh not because i sort of haven't wanted to but I don't know you just go through little different ages and stages and things like that so yeah it's yeah, i don't you know fall, you fall in and out and in and out of love with these things don't you as you as you kind of age you know i grew up playing football like soccer you know and then just didn't really do it for like 10 years and i was like ah why didn't i do that that was weird you know i really like this and you just you just kind of it just it's fluctuates doesn't it as you as you go through life, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you grew up in Byron, though. Yeah, I grew up in Byron. That's um, that's always been home. That's where my family are. Um, so it's a nice home base. It's a quite a transient place, um, and that's kind of what it's been for me as well for the last sort of ten years. I've once I kind of left school, I'd spend a lot of time between home and Indonesia uh and kind of juggle my time i'd come back to work a little bit then go back over there and stretch it out as long as possible um and yeah it's i mean it's the popularity of the town has grown you know skyrocketed over the years and that's because it is a really you know beautiful place it's you know geographically and um yeah it's you know it's a special place but it's a, it's quite a small town and it doesn't quite have the infrastructure for uh quite you know the amount of people that are you know that are, are there so it, it can feel a little bit overwhelmed um and intense at times but yeah they're the having the time away and then to come back and you know be with friends and family and then to go away I, you know i've been really lucky for that and um this last sort of year it's been you know, great being there with friends and family, but it's also, yeah, really busy and hard to find a bit of space to yourself at times as well. Yeah, it's kind of a byword for sort of gentrification right now, isn't it, Byron? You know, it's one of those towns where, because um, I've got a couple of friends that live there and it's what, well, I mean, and also like it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it now, like as, 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 a, as the home to a certain type of person, but as somebody that grew up there, like how, how is it, from that gentrification perspective is it is it something that you're kind of really noticing you know and when i say that i just mean like prices being pushed going up locals being pushed out that that type of thing you know like is is that something that you you notice when you go home these days yeah certainly it's um there's a lot of money there a lot of sort of celebrity um kind of attention and and those you know that kind of scene you know there's big big money and and it um, it does put a lot, push a lot of people out of town, and it does make it difficult for a lot of uh, people that have grown up there to live. The, you know, to rent, to buy, um, a lot of you know 
people my age uh, that haven't, you know, aren't already in, um, yeah, haven't, you know, can't basically can't rent or buy, can't afford. Uh, so they're sort of, you know, stretching further and further away. But I'm, um, I'm kind of noticing as we've been on the road the last, you know, six months, like this year, it's all the coastal areas, everywhere's everyone that you meet and you're talking to are saying the same thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's everyone's kind of gravitating to these coastal towns and uh, everyone seems to be kind of buying them up and, um, yeah, it just feels like kind of the way it is and we just adapt to it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, my sister moving from Sydney to Ballinger, and there you go, classic. <laughs> classic. Yeah. That's how it happens, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I got one more question for you. Thanks for your time today, mate. It's been really great chatting and, um, yeah, I oh, really no, appreciate no. you yeah. making the effort for it, given oh, no, time absolutely. zones and all that. Um, but, you know, one thing I obviously noticed, and, you know, at the minute you're in this position where you're kind of being held up as like you know the, the the sort of example of a particular type of surfing and a particular type of you know like whether it's like board length style lifestyle hiring a career you know you're definitely being sort of i think david lee was like hey how does it feel to be famous you know you, you, you're basically being put in this position where you need to have an opinion on lots of different aspects of surfing let me let me put it that way um <laughs> Yeah. How, how is that? Is that something that you're comfortable with? Is that something that you pay any attention to? Uh, yeah. I mean, that. I guess the. Um, it's a funny. Yeah. Even that's just a funny question for me because. I yeah, like, I don't necessarily feel, I I don't have really an opinion on a lot of things, and if I am asked if I do, I don't necessarily feel like i mean i don't know not entitled to an opinion but um you know i'd like to just be an observer as well and it's i don't know the i guess the growing sort of popularity and um you know the increasing sort of you know with the films and things it's you know it's great and i'm i'm really grateful for it because of the opportunity that it's giving me and uh the interaction and people that i'm meeting and friendships that i'm developing and um yeah, the opportunity to travel and, and keep sort of doing what we're doing is um, something that, yeah, I'm, you know, really grateful for. But, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of, uh, am I comfortable with it? Yeah, like, um, sure. It's, you know, it's, you know, I get to chat and meet people like yourself and, and David and, and, you know, and, complete strangers in the water and, and stuff like that so it's yeah it's it, you know on that side of it i think it's unreal yeah well definitely do the britney trip mate if you get back <laughs> over here and i could definitely i got a few friends over there that i'm sure would be i'm sure you're not sure of offers but would be stoked to show you around so uh yeah, no, yeah. thank you i guess the other actually the other side of that question um just going back on it, it it kind of i guess with the growing um the way the films and everything are expanding i'm kind of also growing a bit more sensitive um between 
share in certain places and and things like that where i feel like there's uh you know like a, a fine line between it's hard i don't know actually just a passing thought don't worry about it <laughs> no but i know i i know what you mean i know what you mean it's like one thing I, one thing i will say on that is i think you guys do that really really well because obviously you've got a responsibility there haven't you you know you've got a huge responsibility um, yeah that's the kind of thing that kind of grows on me is feeling like oh wow there's a responsibility to kind of you know protect and preserve a place rather than um yeah the other side of it where it's yeah just it's just learning and adapting with that absolutely and we always try to be mindful with you know the filming and and you know what we show and don't show and yeah that's yeah that's uh <laughs> yeah i think you get that balance really right because you know you could it, it's a tightrope that isn't it because especially when we go back to like what we were talking about earlier like, like how you want to tell those local community stories you know and if obviously you're using surfing as a medium to do that but equally you don't want to put more pressure on those communities by giving the game away basically i mean that is a tightrope that's a tricky thing to do is with what you guys are doing but yeah i think you i think you got the balance right i think you know I i think all i can say is like when i watch it and all my friends watch it you know for me and my friends like we're all like very intermediate middle-aged surfers basically like most people you know like everyone just gets stoked everyone's just like it makes people want to travel it makes people want to you know go surfing which is the whole point isn't it really that's why you're doing it yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's it yeah that's all we want to do is inspire and um you know want people to sort of resonate it that way and and yeah exactly so that's yeah that's cool to hear and that's yeah that's sweet so there you go. That was me and Torren, and I hope you enjoyed it. What a lovely lad, eh? And if you haven't seen Lost Track yet, then I really do implore you to drop everything and watch the entire four-part series as soon as possible. And if you enjoyed this conversation, then why not share it? It'll take you less than 30 seconds and is a brilliant way of helping more people hear the podcast. Incidentally, and yeah, this is um, Housekeeping Corner time, I thought I'd give a little bit of insight, actually, about how I approach interviews like this when the subject has done a lot of them recently and ended up telling essentially the same story or has just done a lot of interviews in general. It is a common issue in the interviewing game. I mean, of course, there's no real harm done if somebody tells the same story twice in two different interviews. But as an interviewer, you always want to get the goods. I ended up thinking about this part of the process in quite some detail earlier in the summer when I was preparing the talk I gave for the company Watson Marlow down in Cornwall, which I've mentioned before on the show. Um, as part of that workshop, I did a talk called 10 Things I've Learned About Interviewing. And this came up in that, how I prepare for these. And how I prepare very much depends on the guest, really. For example, if it's a mate, then I don't really bother preparing at all. But um, anyone else, I do a lot of preparation. And in this sort of case when someone's done a lot of these things, then that's when lightly worn research becomes very important indeed because you can use it to help in this situation. Um, So what you try and do really is just basically work out a load of specific topics that you can link into segments and that you plan your conversation around these. And ideally what you want to do is find topics that haven't been covered that frequently. Um, 
when I'm faced with this situation, I use my research to pick out a few threads that have been mentioned in other contexts, but have not really been explored that fully. So if, you, if you've listened to my episode 160 chat with US street skater Cairo Foster, this worked really well in that case. So Cairo's been there, seen it, done it, chatted about it on numerous podcasts. You know, he's had two nine clubs. He's, he's been going 20 years. He's done a lot of interviews. And he's been asked the same questions over and over again. So in preparing for that one, I did, you know, I did the work. I listened to all the previous conversations that he'd done recently. I read a lot of interviews. You know, I quizzed mutual friends. I put the hours in, basically. And during that, I discerned a few themes that um, had not been fully explored during previous interviews. The importance of travel in shaping Cairo's worldview, the impact of his itinerant upbringing as an international student, and his awareness of the specific masculine persona traditional skate culture demands of young men and how this impacts them and him in particular. I kind of noticed basically that he not really talked about that stuff. So I then messaged Cairo explaining that was the plan. So we knew where I was coming from. And in that way, he was able to think about these topics. We were able to hit the ground running and, you know, we were able to cover some interesting ground that hadn't really been gone over before. And that's kind of what I did in this case after like, prepare you know listen to some of Torrance previous interviews and working out how he's going to prepare it he basically gets asked the same stuff over and over again particularly recently so I kind of went with that approach I found a couple of angles that I thought hadn't been particularly covered that in depth before and and went with those seemed to work pretty well I thought let me know what you reckon anyway over at Instagram at we look sideways or by emailing me at podcast at we are looking sideways.com All right, that's it for this week. Thanks, Torrin. I'll be back soon with another one. Nice one.